Hey fam, welcome to Simplexity, a podcast where we take seemingly complex matters and attempt to make them plain and simple. And we got a special one for you today, one that I've really been excited about. Whoa, we both oh, did that at the wow. same time. Oh, it's like we planned it. Like we, planned. we didn't. Wow. Wow. We need to stop. I will say right <laughs> off the jump. Hold hey, on. hey, hey. <laughs> My man has been in the gym. You've been getting after it, haven't you? I have. And you're not like a Monday, Wednesday, Friday guy. No, I'm not. What not are anymore. you? Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday in the gym. Uh-huh. And at night, three to five times a week on a bike. Wow. How long on the bike? Usually, no less than 30 minutes, mm. no more than an hour. And as well, you sit in the sauna, do you not? I do. Change your life. Change your life. Wake you up. I've heard incredible things about Greens are greener. Blues are bluer. <laughs> smiles are brighter. So what's Wednesday for? Because I recovery. I, oh. Yeah. But that's a so Wednesday, because of midweek, I'll get up, I'll do the bike in the morning. Oh. Oh word. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'll do a long bike on a Wednesday. Uh-huh. Before coming in here. That's get, impressive. Get the heart rate. It, is. it really is. It is. Especially to stay consistent at that. Well, how I, long have you been doing that? I'd be the size of a house if I did. So. <laughs> really, it's just out of necessity. <laughs> <laughs> I saw pictures of me back you know, that you forward me often of what I used to look like. And um, oh man, purely, you, did. you look like Pillsbury Doughboy. <laughs> yes, yes, like the Michelin Man's little brother. <laughs> But we're, if you have an encouraging noticed, bunch around here. <laughs> yeah, we are very, we speak life. Yeah. Mm. It's all about speaking life. But today we do have a life giver. I will say that. That's my, my dear friend, co-pastor mm. and brand new guest to the Simplexity podcast. Yeah. The one and only Stephen Healy. He's the executive pastor here at Lighthouse Church. And I would say uh, one that can speak to in a way that few can, the subject matter at hand, and that is today we're talking about the intricacies and the, uh, the density of grief. Mm. Um, it's one that I've had a front row seat of watching you sort of venture into, and man, I mean, it's not just, uh, and I'm sure we're, 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 we're going to get into it, but I've watched you weather a storm of the likes that I haven't seen anybody go through um, in a way that's just been absolutely incredible, God-glorifying, all-inspiring, and yet lends itself to a lot of questions, and a lot of questions that I think Boots and I are going to ask today as it pertains to how do you navigate grief in light of what you've gone through what are the seasons therein? What are the types that you've dealt with? And how can you be helpful to those of us that either are in the midst of it now or uh, will experience it later? And mm -hmm. so um, I just first want to start by asking you sort of give us the wave tops of when it comes to this subject matter of grief, why you're so steeped in it. Sure. Um, so I'm part of the club that nobody wants to be a part of, as they say. <laughs> Uh, I was married 18 and a half years, love my life, uh, Nikki Healy. Um, we have three beautiful children, uh, Bailey, 18, Ryan, who's about to turn 16, Everett, mm. 11. 
Um, and really, it was an amazing marriage, a great marriage. But in uh, right around the time we moved across the country here, uh, Bailey, or excuse me, Nick started having some digestional issues. Unfortunately, those went uh, pretty unresolved and undiagnosed until October 2019, when it was found that she had stage three rectal cancer. Mm. Um, she fought that for almost three years, but passed on June 14th at 1.32 in the afternoon uh, last year. Um, so for the last 10 plus months now, uh, it's been me and my three and mm. uh, learning how to do life without mom, without wife, without your better half. Um, and just getting uh, unfortunately schooled in not learning about grief through books, and wow. I guess I would probably say that's probably the biggest caveat I would say to all this is I'm not speaking, I can't speak to this matter um, from any kind of uh, training outside of what I've experienced mm. um, and what I've gone through, what we've gone through. Wow. Um, and what I have learned as well in being around people that are grieving that for different reasons and different losses that grief is very, very individualistic. Yeah. It's experienced, um, very much. You can, a group of people can lose the same person, but how I'm grieving the loss of Nick right. is totally different than how Bailey's is dealing with that. Ryan's dealing with that. Everett's certainly dealing with it. Nick's parents are dealing with it. So, uh, it is a very complex issue. Yeah. So how, how we want to navigate this through here, I'd be interested to hear. Yeah. Interested to see how we do this, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. And I think you're so right, man. You know, I mean, you and I had a lot of conversations in the midst of and even in the immediate aftermath of Nikki's passing as you were grieving not only her sickness, but then also her death. Um, I've watched you go through various stages and I've watched the manifestation of all kinds of symptoms. And yet the only point of reference that I had of watching you was what I went through with my father. Right. And I quickly realized how individualistic grief was. Right. You know, my father died at the age of 73, although being my best friend, closest confidant, my pastor, and in many ways, um, I, I, I walk through that grief in some ways trying to be a help to you, only to quickly realize that your context then would manifest itself in a completely different vein of grief right. where it felt very foreign to me and I was only left to feel, you know, in many ways helpless um, with you. But yet there are some traits, um, you know, uh, the Mayo Clinic and studies have shown that there are some common traits of yes, grief very much so. and symptoms that people deal with. Strong feelings of sadness and sorrow, the inability to focus. Yeah. I remember sitting with you sometimes, man, and just being a listening ear mm -hmm. and listening to you who, who prior to, you have always been laser focused, articulate, understood how to get from A to Z, succinct in thought, and I would just listen to you and you would spider web all over the place, various feelings and questions, insecurities, angers, yeah. and I just realized, man, you are trying to process so much at once. Yeah. And yet, it wasn't in, in any way my place to try to sort of coalesce those thoughts right. or 
to add a congruent, all, I, all, all I, I thought was is he is all over the map. How could he not be? Yeah. So when I read that what grief causes is the inability to focus, it helped me then make all the more sense of, oh, this is a symptom right. of, of deep trauma. Third, lack of trust. Fourth, feelings of loss of purpose or intention in life. Yeah. I remember you just, you were asking questions that would catch me off guard right. of like, wow, this has rocked him to the base of his person um, of where you would unearth questions that I thought I didn't even know that that would play into. Right. Fifth, consuming thoughts of that which you lost. And then lastly, the denial of loss. Yeah. And I remember thinking all of those came to play right. amidst your grief. Yeah, it was... Um it was very interesting to me. I think it was very much a God thing that um, just a couple days after Nick passed, one guy that I follow, and he's, he's, a, he's a lightning rod character, understandably so, because of what the way he espouses his beliefs. But it's, um, it's like, I think he's a psychologist, Jordan Peterson. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So um, very well known, but um, regardless of where you land, whether you agree with him or don't agree with him, he's definitely one of these guys where it's worth listening to so you can totally. wrestle with what he says. Absolutely. Um, he put out this post about dealing with traumatic events huh. and, and the importance of truly wrestling with these traumatic events and what you need to do with them. And at the time, it was just four days after Nick passed, and I thought, all right, something in me said, I, hold, don't forget that, like, come back to that. <clears throat> and it was right after Nick's funeral that we went away that I went back and reread that post. And it was in rereading that and seeing what he had to say about the importance of processing your trauma huh. and about going in and organizing it and thinking through it. Like when you talk about matters of denial and, and what I was going through and with, and this is why I would say grief is so individualistic. It wasn't until I went to that practice that I realized I had started my grieving process with Nick even prior to her passing. Huh. That, that so much of that process, when you think about you know, denial, anger, bargaining, all those things that you work through, um, I, I thought prior to losing my person that, okay, once you lose your person, you enter the grieving process. Right. That was not the case. What mm. you saw me was a lot of, I was, I was anticipatory grieving. What would I, even in, when I consciously haven't gotten a hold of yet, what I couldn't, and that's what I'm saying, when, when it comes to grieving, my loss with Nick after a terminal long fight is completely different than losing your father at 70, who again, same, he fought a disease for a while, but he was an older gentleman, totally different yep. than someone, they walk out the door one day and they don't come home because oh there, there, was, there was a car wreck or, or something happened. Totally. So, there's so much, you're right, there, there are all these stages, all these feelings, all these things that happen, they are all there. They just happen in a way that is specific to the relationship that was had with that individual yeah, and the circumstances surrounding that individual. Huh. So again, for, for me, when it came to Nikki's past, it was months before, six months before that I was going through, I can't believe this isn't happening. Right. Like I remember when her blood work was showing that this cancer was advancing and that there was the treatments weren't working and we just decided, let's just stop doing the blood work. Mm. Let, let's, let's enjoy the Christmas season. Wow. Let's just, let, you know what? Doesn't matter, let's just do that. 
that's that is denial i mean mm. that is denial and then once we did do the scan in january and february i would sit on your couch and i would sit there and and, and rail against god and say mm -hmm. this is wrong i was given hope this because and i would two days before nikki passed i'm on a baseball field with my son my gosh. coaching a mustang championship game while literally in, in 72 hours nikki's gonna go home to be with jesus that is the definition of bargaining that is let me hold on and squeeze out a normalcy in my life wow while i'm losing that which is most precious to me um so the grief process i guess my point is the grief process happens to me in a certain way it happens to another in a completely different way right so you have to when you enter into what i have to do in dealing with my children dealing with anyone in grief is just recognize that yeah is that and i, I think you did this well for me is you can't just project onto a person oh this is where they're at or here's been my experience or here's how i would deal with that because i don't think while there you there are there are nuances and truths that that apply to all situations you just got to be real circumspect when it comes to um i have to be circumspect when it comes to even dealing with my children um where are they at in their process okay answer me this you know because you are such an analyst and because you have a real depth of thought when it comes to whys and hows and whats and all of that i've learned a ton from you in the aftermath of nikki's passing and you analyzing your grief process a lot of things that i didn't realize you were going through and i don't think that you realized that you were going through only to realize so many of them after the fact yeah. that you've really understood wait a minute i was doing like you know uh Mayo Clinic talks about, you know, this idea of delayed grief or even anticipating your grief. Yes. So you started the grief process because for me, that was really eye opening because I would sit with you months prior to Nikki's passing, um, even weeks prior to her passing. Yeah. And I would marvel at your strength and your poise and what what I perceived as such a sense of clarity. But little did I know that, as you said, some of that you were internally bargaining mm -hmm. or you were internally denying. Mm -hmm. Like, there's no way this is going to go down like this. Yeah. Meanwhile, all of us, you know, from the outside looking in, we were almost expecting it. And yet you were like this anchor in the midst of it that was really curious. Yeah. It was like, how is my man being so strong in the face of this? Here's here, here's what I'd like to know. What was it? And maybe you can answer this and maybe you can't. Yeah. But what was it that caused you to be so strong through the process? Through the process leading up to or after? What are we talking about? Uh, so, so let's start with leading up to. I think after is a question in and of itself. But what kept you anchored and maybe you would say, I wasn't anchored. I was, I was, I was just hanging out on and, and, and fighting for dear life. But it certainly didn't appear like that. I think for the listener, the viewer, what I, I hope would be accomplished is would to be helpful for those that are in the thick of their storm. You modeled something that was altogether exemplary. What held you anchored? 
this is the answer, and it's it's mm-hmm. it's Jesus. Right. The answer is Jesus. Um, I was very authentic with Jesus leading up to that place. There's times I would get up in the morning, I would turn on worship music. I would Nick Nick had this painting that she did of a lion, which was just. It, to me, that was, okay, that's me getting before the Lion of Judah. And I would turn on worship music, and I would cry, and I would lament, and I would, I would pour out, and I would write my Bible um, as much as I could. That said, I very much snapped in. So that, that's the, the anchor point. I, I snapped into this mode of, I, I really did go back to military mode. Huh. I really did go back to, this is my mission set. Right. This is what I need to do now. I need to be full-time caregiver for this woman now. I need to leave my children now. Um, whatever she needed, that was what I was. That's what I was called to do. Okay. I very much mm. locked into. This is what I've been mandated to do by God, and before God, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna fail on that part. A lot of that too was watching the way Nick was going through her fight, huh. and how she was processing dying right so much time that she was spending in her word listening to worship music journaling i mean her i I met with one guy one time he said months before her passing he said you know man i don't if there's any more psalms to be written she's writing them (laughs) in the way she would she would pen and she was very honest with jesus i had a front row seat to watch that um and i thought if this woman's going to do this i have to step into I have to do this well. Mm. Um, and I think God gave me, God did, I don't think, God did give me the strength to endure that. But outside of that, I would not have been able to do it. There's right. no way. Right. There's no way. Um, I look back at some of the things that I was doing towards the end. It got so laborious at the end as to what to do. Nick was on so much pain medication at the end and I was have I, I have it in my phone of all the medications that I was giving her on the hour, every half an hour, and this through the night. I mean, there was no sleep. That is only fueled by a supernatural wow. grace mm. that was given me. Mm. There's no way I look back at this like there's no way I could do that. There's mm. no way I could do that right now. Because it was di- it's we were we were hosting graduation parties and we were doing track meets and we were we were you know at baseball fields and we were there was hospice and it, like I look at those last three weeks of Nick's and I think where, where was that where were we sleeping like where were we doing when was when were we eating like when, wow. when, when we were doing like normal things it was God's grace to step in and give us the strength that was needed for all of us I mean I remember I remember whenever it when I went, he was the only one that wasn't in the room when Nikki died. And I went down to tell him that his mom had passed. Um, you know, at the time, he's a 10-year-old boy. And I had to look my 10-year-old boy in the runners and tell him, Mom's, Mom's gone. And I looked at him, and I said to that 10-year-old boy, Hey, buddy, Mom's not suffering anymore. She's with Jesus. That little boy, the first thing he said to me at 10 is he looked me in the eyes. His eyes filled up with tears, not a single tear fall. And he said, well, at least she's not suffering anymore. Mm. That's, that's God's grace on a situation. Amen. Amen. And I think that, that is, that, that's a testament, yes, to our family, but that's a testament to being covered in prayer. 
That's a testament of a community that was supporting us. That was a testament to um, what God was going to do through that whole situation. Um, but all of that, so that, that strength was derived truly from a supernatural source. And I, I, I would die on that hill. You know, you spoke to Everett sitting on that sofa and you coming down those stairs. And um, I was there that day. Mm. And, um, you know, I've told you that one of the things that I witnessed was that that social worker walked through the, that your front door. Right. And, um, man, she was an angel with skin on because one of the things, the first thing that she did is that Everett was sitting on the sofa right inside the window. And one of my biggest concerns was, and you've spoken candidly about this, was in the passing moments, in the moments that Nikki passed away, she did not go with grace and ease. Right. It was, she was writhing in pain. Right. It was a horrific situation. And I'm so grateful that little boy wasn't in that bedroom. But what right. was evident is, is that um, from Nikki's crying and even the trauma, you could hear it. Um, I was sitting you know, on your front stoop and um, your family was in the bedroom and that social worker came in and the first thing that she did is she took AirPods and mm. she put them in his ear yeah. and cued the Bluetooth to that. And I'm so grateful that yeah. she did that. And, um, and then it all happened. Yeah. I remember when I left your house that day, you were sitting on that chair in your living room and you just had this it, it, it was it was like you were just looking through walls. Yeah. Um, you were so, man, you were just so lost at the same time and empty yeah. of you had left it all on the field yeah. and you watched your wife leave it all on the field. And then it set in that the fight was over yeah. and the deep sorrow had now just began. Yeah. And that, that, that's the thing. The fight was, so I thought. Wow. So I wow. thought. Yeah. Like, I, I remember mm. that writhing, and I remember those last moments, and I remember trying to get Nick comfortable. And again, it was God's, God's I've never felt more blessed by God knowing that that was his daughter, and he called me for that moment mm. because she wanted, that's who she wanted. Um, and the fight was so hard that in those last moments, when she fi when I finally got her on her left side, and I, I whispered in her ear, hey, I love you, I'll see you soon, you can go. Um, and, and that's when she finally settled in and passed. The first emotion that I felt, the very first emotion that I felt was, was relief. Wow. I felt, thank God. Mm. Thank God this is over. Thank God this is over. Thank God she's not suffering. And thank God that she's at peace. And I'm so grateful for my King Jesus because I don't know what people do without Jesus in that moment because that, that would be the end. But for me, I know she was stepping into glory. Um, so then I fast forward to that afternoon. All that happens. And I think, okay, this is over. Thank God this is over. But what in the world was that all about? Wow. Like what, what just happened what was the last three and a half years about? 
what about, Lord, I have so many questions. What am I going to do now with these kids? So as quickly as that feeling of relief felt like, okay, the fight is over, it was a brand new, like, onslaught mm. of, okay, now i got to lead my family through this to a certain extent. i got to lead my church through this. i gotta lead. I got to lead all these. And I just got, it got so loud so fast that with your help, with the church's help, with the team's help, we got through that week. We, we, it was a beautiful service that we had for her. We were able to, but I finally was able to go away just a couple days after Nikki had passed. Nikki had, when, when things had gotten really, really, really bad in February, every year we've gone to the beach. We've gone to Topsail, North Carolina right. every summer. Um, that this was, was her spot. That was her spot. And this was gonna be her 40th birthday. Mm. Um, Nikki passed one week prior to her 40th birthday. Well, in February, she, she was such in a bad place of her own personal grieving, she said, I don't even think I'm gonna be able to go to the beach this year. Like, mm. I, I'm, I'm gonna be dead before I get to go to the beach. I remember her saying, and we were, and I remember, I was like, book the house, babe. Just book the house. It's, it's something to go, bargaining. Huh. You're wow. trying to hold on some level of normalcy in your life. Just do it. Let's go, we're gonna, you, got, you know, hey, we don't. So we booked the house. Well, Nikki passes. We have this huge beach house that we're supposed to go to for her birthday. And now just me and my, my three kids, the four of us, go to this big beach house mm. to just get away and, and be with Jesus and to go get some semblance of clear because it was very quickly upon like, okay, you're in a brand new fight now. Wow. The war is over on this front, but you got a brand new war now to fight on this front. And you're coming in tired. You're coming in hurt. You're coming in angry. You're leading. So for me, man, again, I went back to that, that Peterson post. I went back and, and, and I thought through, okay, I got to do something with this. And Nick wrote me, um, and I'm not going to read, I thought, I'm not going to read it <laughs> about what it is I need to do now. And, you know, what Peterson says in this, in this post essentially says, you essentially have, you have two places you can go when, when dealing with, with trauma. You can, you can either face it and talk through all the emotions, and then that could be a cathartic event. You could cry and work through it. That's fine. Or you can actually go into that event, organize it, wow. list it out, write down what actually happened. Don't write down what you think happened. Wow. Actually go back. Go back. There was a guy that's... Um, who did a study on this, and he did it on a group of individuals. He did A group, B group, where he just said, hey, for this one group, we're not gonna make them relive their trauma, this, mm. that, and the other. But this other group, we're gonna actually have them walk through this process. What they found was that in clinical study is that this, this group that walked through that process, two weeks later, by every measurable dynamic, depression, you know, self-medicating, sleeplessness, they were, wo they were sick. They were so much more sick than this first group. Huh. But they came back six months later, and this group was meeting with doctors far less. They had worked through their trauma and pain, whereas wow. this group was stuck in it. This group had gone through what he called, you know, you walk out of the valley. You don't walk from a valley into the promised land. You walk from the valley into the desert in hope of a promised land. <laughs> mm. Like you go through one season mm. of deep, 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 deep loss, if you want to walk out of that, now you got to walk through the desert, which is the processing season. Wow. So what I did, and what I just, I went back, you know, the, we had this saying back in the Navy where you, go, you, you literally say, embrace the suck. Like, hey, oh. this, this sucks. Yeah. This is horrible. Right. But you can complain about it. 
You can rail against it, or you can do something with it. Mm. So <laughs> I sat down and I started writing out what happened, how that made me feel, where I saw God, where I didn't see God, where, where, mm. where, where I had questions, where I saw provision. That lady, the, the, the angel with skin on that came in, she was not scheduled to be there that day. Wow. That social worker was not meant to be there that day. That woman showed up at 1.15 in the afternoon, not 20 minutes prior to Nick's passing, specifically to slip into my house. Wow. Covered down my son, and she slipped out. I've never seen her since. I've never seen her before. Oh, my gosh. And she sat right there next to him. Sat there right there next to him. That, that, is, that is a kiss from heaven. Amen. Wow. But I would have blown right past that. Okay. If I wouldn't have, wait, what happened in this moment? So while we've said at the beginning, hey, grief is very individualistic, as, as hard as this is, and I get it, like I immediately once I was contacted by some guys, younger guys, who I really genuinely appreciate, um, I walked up to, I have a buddy who's a, he's a, we graduated the academy together, I was married to a beautiful woman. Um, she passed very, very suddenly, very, very different set of circumstances, but she passed about a year before Nikki, and he had an 18-month-old son, and he's a Marine, uh, Lieutenant Colonel, F-18 pilot. Mm. I mean, dude's dude, played football, Navy, I mean, dude. 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 The day Nick passed, um, or rather, the, the morning of the funeral, he was in Ohio, in Youngstown, Ohio, with his, with his parents. He, was, he left Youngstown, Ohio, probably at like 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning to make the funeral service. Oh my then he just turned around and went right back because he had to fly to take over his command in Texas. I didn't even know he was here. But I, I met him at, at Nikki's wake that followed. I saw him. His name's Andy. I walked right up to him. And I remember looking at him. And, and Andy is a dude's dude. Mm. And um, I said to him, I said, Andy, I said, as the member of the crappiest, which I didn't say crappiest, as the member of the crappiest, newest member of the crappiest fraternity on the planet, yeah, is there like a handbook to do this? Mm. Like, what do I do, man? Right. And he looked at me with such empathy, and he said, nah, man. Nah, dude, there's no, there's no handbook. Mm. He said, but you're going to have to do a lot of work. You're going to have to do a lot of work. Mm. Um. You gotta do the work. As hard as it is as an individual, I would say that to any, I don't care how you lose and what the relationship is, son, daughter, wife, husband, friend, relative, whatever your relationship is with that person, you gotta do the work. Huh. You have to, cause it's, it's your grief process and right. God wants to speak to that and he wants to minister to you in that, mm. but it's your process. Wow, That's your desert. You're gonna have to walk through that. Is there anything, and I don't, I don't want you to get mechanical or overly practical, but is there anything, having done the work or doing the work, that you would say, here are some fundamentals for those that are in the midst of grief that you must do? Sure. So, real practical. So, because of Nick's situation specifically her last several months if not year she would get really worn down at night mm. and what we would do is early in the evening like early 6 30 7 o'clock at night after dinner she would retire to the bedroom i would go with 
she would sit there on her side of the bed. I would sit on my side of the bed. She'd watch a show. I'd watch a show, whatever. We would just hang out in the bedroom. Okay. And that would be our routine until 10, 10 o'clock at night, turn the lights out, go to bed. Well, I got back after losing her from that beach vacation, and I immediately thought, oh, I'm just going to fall into my routine. My person's not here. I'm just going to do this. I, I would feed the kids whatever. I would go up to that bedroom, and I'd sit in that bedroom by myself. And I would tell you what, within the first couple of days, I thought, this is not good. Wow. This is not good for me to be up here uh. by myself in the very place that has so much memory, so much trauma, and, and, and just I'm going to end up drinking too much. Yeah. I'm going to end up watching something I shouldn't watch to self-medicate. I need to get up out of this space. So to what we started with, I, we had all this exercise equipment down in the bed, bedroom. It was like, you better go, go do something with it. Uh. Go get healthy. Go get yourself healthy. Don't, I mean... So there was, I looked at every aspect of my life. What does getting healthy look like spiritually? Getting healthy with my, my Lord and Savior means I got to be in his word. Mm. I got to spend time in prayer. I got to start journaling, even if I don't want to. Okay. Even if I don't want to, I got to put in the work there. Physically. Did you journal prior to Nick's no, pass? You did not. I was not right. a journaler. Okay. But now I've become, I wish I was better at it, but I've, it, it's a practice that I'm trying to make okay. myself do. Because even now, I'll look back in places in my Bible where I'll put a journal entry and I'll say, I know where I was at in that moment. Uh, wow. And I, and I can see where God's taken me through that process. Hmm. But if you're not intentional in writing that stuff down, you, you, you'll relegate it to memory. And the older I get, and you'll yeah. forget about it. Physically, I knew I had to start taking care of myself. Uh, for, a couple, for a couple years, I didn't. And um, it was important to do that mentally and relationally and, and emotionally. I needed to get with people that were further down the track than me to help me, is what I'm feeling normal? Is what I'm feeling right? Are there things I should be doing? And, and I had a community come alongside me that could be with me and give me perspective. You know, like I went away, I thought for the longest time, I said, this is the worst way to lose your person. Huh. Very prideful. I mean, I, in, in retrospect, I would say, that my person was taken to me inch by inch, day by day, marred, a beautiful woman, marred, beaten, broken until ultimately she was killed by this disease. And I thought that, that I wouldn't wish this on Osama bin Laden for him to watch. Then I went away to a, to a retreat in November. Right. right. 18 widowers at this retreat, all Christian widowers, 18 different stories, some terminal illness, but some were drowning, some were car accidents, some were, some were heart attack, all of them my age. One guy in this place, he was sitting at work his wife of 20 years, my age, my wife of 20 years, 18-year-old daughter, 15-year-old daughter, a neighbor, a younger kid came across the street, walked into their home and gunned down his wife and his 15-year-old daughter. Oh my gosh. The only reason the 18-year-old daughter wasn't there is because she was at school. He gets a phone call at work where all of a sudden now he's lost. He was, you need to come home, something's happened in your neighborhood comes home, police tape, news agencies. He lost not only his, now this is obviously an extreme circumstance, loses his wife, loses his daughter, but they, I, I roomed with this guy while I was there. Oh my gosh. So we're top chatting late one evening, and he said, did, did you and your wife get an opportunity to talk through what moving forward looked like without her? To which I was able to tell him we, uh, we were. I was able to talk to her about, you know, and she did leave me things to that nature, and he just wept. And he cried. He said, I don't know what to do. Mm. She, mm. Was, she was, I left one morning and now she's, I don't know what to do. 
For him, he was two months removed from that. He was in the midst of denial. God forbid, God forbid me, who have just lost my life, try to just project upon him. Oh, well, here's what you need to do now. Right. The right. best thing I could do was do what Job's friends did right <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> before, they, before they talked, <laughs> was just to sit with him. Wow. And just say, man, I can't even imagine. Uh, I amen. can't even imagine. And just enter into it with empathy and pray over him and listen to worship music with him mm. and just, just be in, just in the ministry of presence. Um, but that's what getting healthy looks like, right. or at least it looks like for me. And yeah. I think in, walk, in doing that, God's been gracious with me in it because I have not done it right all right i mean there's been a lot of times where i've fallen skinned my knee and i've gotten angry and bitter and all the things but it is how are we trending yeah over time um and not getting stuck in any one place for too long to feel all the feels but to just be continued and it's work yeah it's work so good man so heavy so helpful so insightful um but you, you have, I watched you diligently focus with a specificity, spiritually, physically, emotionally, parentally, uh, you know, only you know which ones are at times neglected or undermined. But man, from the outside looking in in the front row seat that I have, it appears that you have taken your grief process so seriously without bowing out and saying, you know, I have a right to stay in this space. That's the thing that I think, um, not only myself, but those that I've talked to and those that are looking into, because at the same time, what, what you fail to mention often is that you grieve and are grieving publicly. Mm. A lot of people are able to grieve much more privately. Yeah. But in light of the mantle on your life, the pastoral office you hold, the influence that people have, have, have called you into, and just your position of where God has planted you, you have had to, by and large, grieve publicly. And so I know you carry the weight of Den doing that rightly. Mm. And, um, and I really believe it's to the glory of Jesus and the help of those that are going to have to endure their own storm yeah. and walk through it themselves. Yeah, and I would say whether whether you have to do it publicly, because a lot of it, you know, you don't. I mean, <laughs> if given opportunity, I would not choose to do this publicly. But even if you walk through it privately, uh, a guy by the name of Davy Blackburn, uh-huh. uh, mm. he was a pastor, lost yep. his wife in a home invasion in 2016. He said something that really resonated with me, and I, I you know, he said, "The devil's not going to win twice." Mm. He, he took my wife. He ain't taking me out. There's no way. And it's just now there's a bravado to that. And there's a, you got to be careful that and temper that. But like, I, I, I think there is a way to punch the devil in the mouth. Wow. When you sit there and say, you, you took something from me, but I'm still in this fight. Mm. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to use this pain to minister to others. Wow. And I'm going to use this misery somehow, in some way, in some fashion, by God's grace. And I don't think that has to, that you don't have to be public to do that. I think I think for the mom and dad who's lost whoever, how they grieve, your children are watching that. 
Yeah. And there's a way to lead them through that. It, it, for the friends that you know, that you lose somebody, for the believer, we have a hope. Wow. So it's your opportunity, again, not with bravado and not with pride, yeah. but that's how we onward Christian soldier th this, do this thing. Amen, man. <laughs> that we're called to walk out and take truly, I mean, the horrible things of this life that God uses for his glory. I, I, I referenced it um, recently. I, I remember sitting on the beach. I remember sitting on the beach um, and just so turned around that, uh, like, Lord, why, why, why would she, why would this happen? And I got a random message from this lady in Chicago. And this lady in Chicago messaged me and she said, hey, listen, you don't know me and I never met your wife, but we knew of her story. Mm. And, and, and we, we followed it. And we followed you know, the podcast that was done right. um, through Bright FM here in Baltimore. And my father had brain, has, had brain cancer, and he wasn't a believer. This lady is this saying lady is saying this. My, my, my father has brain cancer, and not a believer, bitter, angry ones, nothing to do with the faith, and we knew this was terminal. We knew this was going to take him. And we were so turned around. Wow. Because we knew that he wasn't going to walk, he wasn't going to be in heaven. <laughs> and we were out, we didn't know what to do. She said, so all we could do is said, Dad, maybe listen to this. Mm. Maybe listen to this story of what this lady's enduring. She said, I'm writing you to tell you he listened to that story. And um, he's passed away since then but my family is comforted because because of that story and because of what it did in him and because the way he wrestled with his faith he professed jesus before he went home wow man she said i'm so sorry you lost your wife um but i had to share that with you mm. so i you know i had to sit there on that beach and wrestle with okay <laughs> It's not about me. It's not about Nick. It's about God and his kingdom. And what is it we do with what we've been dealt right. so that regardless of what it is, it's about him and his kingdom. Mm. And I was comforted, truly, because the way Nick walked out her disease and her sickness and even her passing, that when she went in the glory, Jesus held her real close and said, <laughs> what? Good job, girl. Welcome home. Um, her story's over. Our story's still going on as part of his greater story. Amen, man. And I'm going to do the best I can and do the work that's necessary for me and mine in the hopes that we can encourage others that are going through their thing that you can use that pain. You can. There's a way to grieve so that it's done healthy and effective, and it doesn't have to be your loss. It can be a best yet to come. You know, I think you coined it just recently where you said, cancer took my wife, but death did not win. Mm -hmm. And um, man, just thinking of your perspective and then how you've walked that out, man, has really underpinned you're fully convinced of that is that yeah this was horrific but i'm not going to lose twice 
end. We may have lost this battle, but Satan has lost the war, and we're just called to walk it out until we see our great God and King face to face. Um, And so I want to ask you this as we get ready to close, because I know that you and I have had real candid conversations about this, and I've gleaned a ton from just hearing your perspective, but what is it? In one way, you just told us what what's a person to do that's walking through grief, but what are we to do mm. that are on the sidelines wa- watching someone walk through grief? I would uh, say a few things. Don't don't underestimate the ministry of present. Huh. There's a lot to just being and sitting with a person. Mm. It's going, you know, there's are, there are no words. There are things, there's things that aren't going to comfort, but just um, it helped me so much the times I sat on your couch and I was just doing my thing and just, and you didn't know what to say and you didn't say anything. You just, you just let me talk. Um, the times I would go over the Anderson's house or the Bombard's house and have a cocktail and just sit and cry. Um, mm. The, the day after the funeral, you guys coming over and just sit. There's so much to the ministry of presence. Um, there's so much for, and I do this, and I still do this, and I wish I didn't do this. Don't ever, don't ask, the, do, tell us what we can do. Like when you, uh-huh. when you, that whole, well, hey man, whatever you need, yeah. I can do it. There's a good heart to that, but that puts on the person. Wow, amen. Like they've got enough to think about. Yeah. They don't need to think like, okay, here's, well, here's what you can do to help me. Yeah. What helps is just showing up with a meal, showing up and cutting the grass, showing up and blowing the leaves, just doing all the things that, that are just mundane daily things yeah. Yeah. that don't put it on them to figure it out. Mm-hmm. That is so, so helpful. Um, giving them a lot of room, giving them a lot of room to process and think and not, not hey, I need to speak into this right now. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, maybe not. Amen. If they're not going sideways, if they're just spewing. Working it out. Let, work, right. let them work it out, man. Yeah, let yeah. Them, you know, just, as long as they're not getting on a plane to Vegas <laughs> with their savings <laughs> account. Now that I would maybe speak to. Be like, I don't know if you want to do that. But if they're just working it out allowing them to, to, to work it out and just telling them so they know hey listen I don't know how to do this for you but Amen. I want to come alongside wow. you and help you wow as much as I can so here's what I'm gonna do Amen. I'm gonna show up with a meal or I'm gonna cut your grass I'm gonna do a bunch of stuff and I just need you to tell me back off amen and I'll receive that and I won't be offended by it right like I had some people tell me well here's what we're gonna do for you and I'd be like I don't want you to do that for me okay I, I really 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 don't <laughs> like at all like yeah. not even close like people want to come in and, like put additions in the house and I was like I, I don't I don't want that please stop <laughs> well then they got offended and they were like they were like well huh, well I was here to try to do a nice thing this ain't about you chief <laughs> like, I'm glad you're trying to make yourself feel better through this process so I would say it is that like well hey I'm just gonna show up and do a can, bunch of stuff can you tell them the, the Greg story which one? The Greg story. Oh, sure. Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, mm. so to the, speaking to, of showing up. Yeah, showing up. Like, mm. this was this was early on. Like stage. Like Nick had just gone stage four, and it, we were told now this is in a curative disease. This is now a terminal disease. And I remember I was just trying to get so much stuff in my life in order, and nothing was in order at all. Mm. And I remember looking out on my yard, and it was just covered in leaves. And I thought 
as guys think, well, here's something I can fix, so I'm going to fix it. <laughs> it was not about the leaves. It was this whole yeah. existential life crisis <laughs> that I thought, yeah. I'm going to fix this with leaves. <laughs> well, I go out there, and I'm blowing the leaves with the leaf blower. I've had three or four years I've never had a problem with, and it conks out on me multiple times. Mm. So now I got this yard that's got like a half pile of leaves. It looks worse than when, you know, <laughs> it did. And it was just such an analogy for my life. Like whatever I'm putting my hand to right now is falling apart. And I'm just sitting in the front yard crying. I'm like, yeah. this is, this is the most pathetic. This is pathetic. <laughs> so I went back in the house, this, that, and the other thing. I think it was either the next day or within a day or two, all of a sudden I'm in the house and I hear, I hear a leaf blower. I'm like, what is going on? Oh my gosh. And I walk outside and here's Greg McDivitt who Adrian works here at the church, mm -hmm. dear friend, and they're an incredible Jesus-loving family. Yeah. Their hearts went out to us so much. Well, here's, here's big old Greg, all nine foot of them, <laughs> out there like a jolly green giant, moving <laughs> with his little black backpack blower. And I went out to him, I said, hey, Greg, what, what, are, you, what are you doing here, man? Uh. What are you doing here? Well, well Greg works that's his world. That's what he does. Yeah, he, right. he, he works at a local baseball field where his job is to make sure the field's ready for play and this, that, and the other. Um, so all that maintenance and groundskeeping, that's what he does. He's the manager of it. And he said he woke up at 5. I remember saying he said it was 5.30 in the morning. I sat up and I was thinking about your family. I was crying. He said, Lord, I don't know what to do for him. I really don't <laughs> know what to do for him. Mm. <laughs> and he said uh, he really felt God just told him, well, Greg, do what you do. Do do don't don't feel like you gotta mm -hmm. do what it is you can do, Greg. Do what it is you. Do. And he goes, and I, dude, I do I do lawn maintenance. <laughs> he oh said, my he gosh. Goes, So all I can think to do is pick up a backpack leaf blower and come over here, and I'm gonna blow your leaves, and I'm gonna come back in two weeks and clean it up and everything. And I sat there and cried, mm. and I hugged him. You know, I was like, again, Greg's seven foot tall. I'm barely five foot tall, so I'm around <laughs> his waist. It looked like a, looked like a four year old holding his dad, crying and weeping. He's holding his backpack over. Like this is weird. It's still running. Yeah, it's still running. But you know, it was one of those beautiful moments where wow. a guy just used his God-given abilities, and it was just a fit. It was hand in glove. Amen. Wow. It wasn't like he was going to come over and drop a huge check mm -hmm. or, you know, hey, let me run your kids around because that he doesn't have time. He did what it, he could do. Yeah. And on that particular mm. day, I felt like I did. I felt in my spirit like, hey, God is in the details. He is going to go before you through all this. It's not going to look anything like you think it's going to look like. It's gonna look right. It's gonna, a big dude's gonna show up and blow your leaf. You thought you were gonna do it. That's not how this is gonna go. Right. But um, that is such a testament to people just showing up. Amen. And he expected nothing. And he that was incredible. He he was gonna slip in and yeah. slip out. He was gonna be like that social worker. Yep. Slip in and slip out. It wasn't about them. To require nothing. It of required you. nothing of me. Wow. It was. It wasn't. It wasn't putting anything on me. And it wasn't expecting of like, well, make sure the thank you card gets in the mail to make yeah. sure you know that I did that Absolutely. kind of thing. Right. Or it, it was very much, I'm going to be the hands and feet of Jesus and the hand, right hand cannot know what the left hand will mm. be doing. We saw that time and time again. When we, when, we fun, when we went out there to Arizona for Nikki's fight, the gifts that were given us monetarily, financially, meals, I mean, massive were people, we didn't even know where it came from. Wow because they didn't want accolades for it. Mm. 
they just felt God laid that on my heart, I'm going to do it. Um, that, that was beyond humbling. So I, I think that's how I would handle that. Moving forward, I would hope, I would hope I would have that same heart. I would have a, a Greg McDivitt's heart. Yeah. I, would, I would have that kind of servant's heart where come in, hey, I'm going to slip in, slip out, do what it is I can do. Try to hold my tongue, <laughs> not talk too much. <laughs> That'd be the hard part. Um, and I think in doing that, that, that ministers to a person more than you can ever imagine. Mm. It's a story I'm going to be telling the rest of my life. Amen. Amen. What a story, dude. And what a help. Really, truly, what a help to understand what it is that we're called to do, knowing there's a lot of margin for mess up, skin knees, and fall downs. But nevertheless, what it is that we're called to do, and then what it is that those of us that are on the sidelines can do that actually glorify Jesus while at the same time be a help mm-hmm. to those in a time of need. So, man, I love you. Love you. I love you I, too. I love you. You looked over at me before I said that, and you're like, well, do well, you, do you do love, love me? me? Yeah. Yeah. Do you love me, Peter? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to go there. No. Uh, yeah. mm. But with that, we certainly appreciate you being here, Steve. I'm in the buddy. Season three. Um, Invite me back on a lighter topic next time. Yeah. That? Yeah. This is tough for an opener. Yeah. <laughs> this is a one and done for me. <laughs> we'll get you back oh, for, yeah. sure. Yeah. for sure. What else you guys want to talk about? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Round two? Them skins, huh? Yeah. <laughs> but with that, we appreciate you guys who listen and follow us wherever you get your podcasts. I go ahead and follow us on Instagram as well, at Simplexity Podcast, but we appreciate you guys listening. Love you guys.